Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae. Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God, living well, and relational wellness and togetherness and getting our minds right and all kinds of things. And so we are into another series. So if you have never listened to Whole and Complete Podcast, Whole and Complete is a series-based podcast, and this is a timely series. It's actually long overdue. We are going to be talking about building your tribe, building your tribe, finding your people. And the reason why this is so important is because I kid you not, I spend a fair amount of time on social media, not for entertainment purposes, but because these are the platforms of distribution for my content. And the comments will tell you everything you need to know about the human condition. They really will. And something that I just can't help overlook, uh, given what I do and given all the things I'm passionate about, is that there is a tremendous, a tremendous dearth, a void, a vacuum of healthy relational connections. And I mean, friendships, I mean, relationships like romantic partnerships, people are starved I mean, literally starved for connection. And I remember I did a series on loneliness, but it's it's more than that. Not only are people starved for connection, people have been so hurt and so wounded by experiences in the past that they have isolated themselves and they don't want to trust people and they're afraid to trust people. And they don't realize fully the psychological impacts that that is going to have in the long run. And it reminded me of a book I read a couple of summers ago that I highly recommend and still recommend to anybody who wants to navigate trauma. It's called What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And a lot of times when we see or hear the word trauma, we're like, oh, you know, nothing major happened to me. You know, I wasn't beaten, you know, or anything like that. So I don't need that. But so many things can cause trauma. You know, so many things. It doesn't have to be physical abuse. It can be neglect. And it can also be relational poverty, like the the hunger for relationships and disconnection. And so that's where I want to start, just to kind of set the tone and the framework for where we're going to be headed today. So as usual, we have a scripture and it is coming from Genesis. Oh, I've spent a lot of time in Genesis lately. But Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them, really underscoring the power of community and unity and being united in a single purpose. And I want to define, as we always do at the start of these series, some definitions, what I mean when I say community or tribe. And it is referring to a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and or goals, okay? A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and or goals. And so let us hear a few excerpts from What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry. And this is like way at the end of the book. So like kind of like in those closing chapters, but I do want to share a couple of these passages with you. So if you've never read this book, part of how it is written is a discussion between Oprah and Dr. Perry. And so I'm going to be reading you some pieces of that discussion. Oprah, so you think it's about disconnection. 
Dr. Perry. Yes, disconnection and loneliness in our society are playing a major role in the increased anxiety, sleep problems, substance use, and depression we're seeing. A recent study by a team at Harvard found that all of the factors involved in depression, the most powerful were related to connectedness. The protective effects of social connection were present even for individuals who were at higher risk for depression as a result of genetic vulnerability or early life trauma. Certainly, our work supports that observation. One of our major findings is that in determining someone's current mental health, the history of their childhood and relational health, their connectedness is as important, if not more important than their history of adversity. So essentially what he's saying is, is that of all of the factors that can contribute to depression, connectedness, the level to which you feel connected or in community or have healthy relationships is the most important factor by far (laughs) than any sort of previous history of trauma. Okay. Like the extent to which you have healthy connections with people is, can supersede even a terrible trauma or tragedy that you may have experienced earlier in your childhood. Dr. Perry goes on to say, I am reminded of the Maori elders and their belief that trauma, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse are quote, all the same thing and are all related to our connectedness, our sense of belonging. He goes on to say, disconnection is disease. I think the Maori elders were right and that there is some correlation between rising suicide rates and the increased fraying of our social fabric. We are now raising our children and youth in environments that are both relationally impoverished and sensory overloading from the proliferation of screen-based technology. Oprah, we're all too attached to our phones. No one even makes eye contact. Dr. Perry, right. There's more texting, tweeting, and posting, but less actual conversation. Meanwhile, rates of suicide, anxiety, and depression are rising in our youth. Our culture is so quote unquote advanced and we have such wealth, creativity and productivity, yet the disparities and inequities in all of our systems continue to marginalize, fragment and undermine community and cultural cohesion. In other words, for all of the the technology that we have in the world, for all of the, the wealth that we have in this country, the United States, for all of the advancements that we have made, No matter what it is that we seem to do with all the tweeting and the texting and all the rest of it, we still don't seem to be able to facilitate community and and cultural cohesion. If anything, these devices are used to create further division. And I want to read just one more piece. Dr. Perry says, I think it would certainly be reasonable to consider relational poverty, lack of connectedness, As an adversity, poverty of relationship can disrupt normal development, influence how the brain works, put you at risk for physical and mental health problems. It's absolutely not good for you. In many ways, the result of our society's poverty of relationship is a form of social and emotional starvation. Our children are starving. But I would argue it's not just our children that are starving. We are starving. Adults are starving. Sometimes I see videos on TikTok or Instagram. It's like, hey, here's how we told our family that we were having a baby or here's how we told our friends we were having a baby. And then you go to the comments and it's like, oh, you have friends. Oh, I wish I had friends like that. Wow. Must be nice to have friends. And these comments are robust, robust. And so 
My goal with this podcast series is to one, let you know how dangerous it is to be disconnected. To quote Dr. Perry, disconnection is disease. And Dr. Perry specializes in working with children who have experienced heinous traumas. I mean, people who have like seen their parents murdered, like heinous traumas, been kidnapped, heinous traumas. And one of the things that he says in his book that he points out is that even children who have experienced the most heinous trauma, the most effective remedy is not therapy, believe it or not. It's community. It's being surrounded by loving individuals who continue to pour care and nurturing and compassion and consistency and structure into the child who has experienced these terrible things. And I realize the older I get, how much community seems like a luxury because so many people have just given up on it. And I will say this, this happens for a lot of reasons in a lot of ways. Sometimes, you know, you come through high school or college or secondary school or university with friends, but then, you know, you get married and you have kids and you're like, oh, who has time for friendship anymore? And people realize towards the end of life that as much as you might love your family, when you're talking about living a whole and complete life, for a lot of people, okay, let me qualify that because I don't want nobody saying, my family is everything. I'm glad for you. <laughs> I am glad for you. But for a lot of people, it's just not enough because the demands and the incessant needs of family is a very different relationship than having community that you connect with over hobbies or over laughs or over interest and goals like it's a very different dynamic it's a it's a community that that feeds your spirit and it's a community that feeds your desires and it fills your cup in ways that family oftentimes does not because family especially depending on your position within the family requires a lot of you families tend to take and friendships good healthy friendships let me qualify that tend to give okay and I've seen a lot of people give up their friendships and give up their friends in pursuit of or in caring for family and then having regrets down the road when they realize that it's just not enough. Like family in and of itself is just not enough. Not to mention the fact that, you know, kids, they grow up, they leave, and then you're kind of left there trying to figure out what's your next act and you have let all of your friendships go. And now you're sitting there wondering, well, what's next? Because my community was the, the PTA. My community was the moms. My community was the dads. And now that the kids are all grown and that those points of connection are no longer there because the common unifying factor was the kids and their activities. Well, then what? Well, then what? And so I think that this episode is more timely than ever. And then of course, you know, there's always the ever popular videos about love and romance and things like that. And my favorite comment ever, <laughs> my favorite comment ever, like I never see it and not chuckle is, Lord, I've seen what you've done for others, you know, or, you know, where do these men be at? You know, are they selling these on Amazon? Like, where are these healthy human connections? Because the perception is that people are just trash and that they're just so emotionally bankrupt and unavailable and boring and, and lacking the, the skills for connection that it's just a hopeless situation. And I'm here to tell you, it is not, it is not hopeless. 
Which brings me to Yuri Treisman. So I feel like I have talked about Yuri Treisman before on this podcast. And if not, maybe the Believing Bigger podcast. But right now, as I speak to you, I did a video, literally 90 seconds, about Yuri Treisman, a mathematician at Berkeley, who noticed that his Asian students were excelling in his class and his African-American students and Latino students were really struggling. And he noticed that the Asian students were studying in community and the African-American and Latino students were studying in isolation, even though they were spending more time on the material. So long story short, he made it mandatory that they learn in groups and communities. And then just like that, you know, within a couple of semesters, the grades came up and, and they stopped flaming out of the class. But here's the thing. So even that post, which has gone viral, celebrities have shared it. Like, I'm really shocked how far this has spread so you know shout out thank you to everybody who has shared that content because I certainly didn't think that it would resonate the way that it has but here's the thing as we go deeper into that okay so let's kind of unpack this a little bit number one eastern cultures okay so Indian Asian cultures are very different (laughs) than western cultures in the sense that community is woven into the fabric of who they are so if you have not watched it, OMG, binge watch, grab yourself some popcorn, get some wine or some juice, whatever, you know, whatever makes your boat float. Put your feet up and binge watch Indian Matchmaking on Netflix. And I love that show. It is like my guilty pleasure. <laughs> it is so good. But something that fascinated me about Indian dating culture is that usually in Western culture, okay, in America, you meet somebody, you vet them, you go on a few dates, and then after a few months, if things are serious enough, then you start bringing them around people who are important like friends, and then later you start bringing them around like family. In Indian dating culture, baby, you meet the family on the first date. (laughs) Like I was, I think that's what shocked me about Indian dating practices is how invested the families were right from the very beginning. They're like, no, this is a group project. Okay. So if you dating her, you're dating us essentially. And so we need to meet you. We need to talk to you. We need to vet you. We need to give her our impressions. Like it, listen, it's a fan, like slide the family stone, say it's a family affair. Okay. So with Asian culture is one of the things that they found is that not only was achievement collectively a part of their culture, but it was also part of their social interaction. And so it wasn't with one group, I do homework and I talk about my career and my future. But then with the other group, I kick it in a he, he and kiki because that is what was happening with black students, black students, even though they had social groups, those were just social groups. These are the people that, you know, I party and, and kick it with, but these are not the people that I share my business ideas with. These are not the people that I study with. These are not the people that I try to sharpen my iron and learn from one another. That Like that is not what was happening on that campus. And often that is not what happens in black culture in the United States, but other cultures, like I said, Indian cultures, Asian cultures. And I know that India, like, so let me be clear. I understand that India is also a part of Asia, but I'm speaking specifically like about um, Korean, Japanese, Chinese culture versus Indian culture out of like Mumbai. Okay. So just kind of making those, those differences clear. So that component is a key factor in that depending on what your goals are 
you may see success as an individual effort, not a group effort. Not to mention the fact, and I'm not saying that one size fits all, because I also was one of those students who hated group projects. It's like, oh gosh, why do I have to depend on other people for my success? I'd rather just do my own thing. And and that sense, that kind of like rugged individualism in these yet to be United States is definitely a, a factor. Not to mention the fact that there are other factors like systemic oppression. Okay, I, I work at a predominantly white college. I have seen this with my own eyes. I have seen Asian students, so Chinese, Korean, Japanese students cluster together, study together, lunch together, chill and hang together, and nobody says anything to them. I have seen Indian culture do the same thing. Yet when two or more black students get together, if it's two, okay. But once we start to get to three or four, okay, now we have a problem. So there is absolutely a sentiment of anti-blackness in the United States that problematizes. So it's like when, when black people come together, it makes people uncomfortable. It makes dominant culture uncomfortable. It makes some white people uncomfortable. I'm just going to say that out loud because it's the truth. And because it makes some people uncomfortable, then there are all kinds of mechanisms, campus, police, security, whatever, like, oh, hey, is everything ha okay over here? Um, all right, let's move along. Um, okay, I think you're being a little bit too loud. Uh, you know what, how about you guys take this elsewhere? Like, it's that sort of thing. However, when I see Indian and Asian students studying together, I do not see those same concerns. Okay, so those factors are absolutely there. And obviously in the 90 seconds that I had on that video, I didn't have all the time to say that. But then there's this other piece too, right? I am, child, I am at the, the pulpit of anti-scarcity this season. I can't, it's such a, it's so corrosive. It's so pernicious. It's so insidious. It's such a lie. Scarcity is a lie, but it's one that benefits capitalist culture. It's one that, that creates division and competition. And so what happens in black culture is there's this belief that there's not enough room at the table for everybody to eat, that only a few people can, can get into the door, that only a few people can get past the gate. And so when one of us gets past the gate, we go over there and we stand in the corner with our crumbs. We don't try to help anybody along. We feel like, hey, I was lucky just to get a seat at the table. So I can't put you on because if it's too many of us, then there goes the neighborhood and people are going to be uncomfortable. And now you done effed it all up for, for everybody. So sorry, I can't help you. All of that, the collective belief in that is so problematic and it's so divisive. And what it creates is this disconnection, is this emotional and relational poverty that hurts all parties involved, that hurts all parties involved. I can't tell you how many times I have grown up as a black woman as a and hear other black people say, now you see how the Koreans have come into our neighborhood and now they've set up this business and now they set up that business. How come we can't do that? I'm, I'm speaking to you. I'm telling you, <laughs> I holler if you hear me, this is why it doesn't happen. And, and the UK, because I know I have listeners in the UK, y'all ain't too much better with your stiff upper lip. Okay. So this summer I went to the islands of Madeira, Madeira, so just like the United States has islands like Alaska and Hawaii, 
the country of Portugal also has islands. So Madeira and the Azores and the Azores is like a grouping of like seven little islands, right? So I was in Madeira and I was on an Airbnb experience and I happened to be on the experience with a set of twins who were from Britain. And something that they said was, you know what? We've just decided that we can't live without one another, that we don't want to be too far from one another, that we don't want to be too distant. And, she, and they said, we tried that. We tried that and we hated it. We were so sad and we were so disconnected and it just didn't work for us. And people tried to make us feel bad for wanting to be together. People tried to make us feel bad like we were weak or something was wrong with us because we wanted to be in each other's company because we wanted to be close. And finally, we just said to hell with that. Screw that. Screw what you think. This is what makes us happy. I want to be with my twin sister. And that is something that trickles across the pond in the United States is this belief that if you want companionship, if you want friendship, if you want community, if you don't want to go it alone, then somehow that makes you weak. And this idea in the United States, this rugged individualism, okay, that every man for himself and that you should be raising your children to be independent because notice, if we're talking about a comparison of cultures, American culture is you raise your birds to kick them out of the nest. And, you know, once they graduate college or once sometimes once they graduate high school, it's like, OK, I did my part. You own your own. Get a job. Go to the military. You're expensive. And I don't look OK. Be gone. If you need me, let me know. But you're living here. You're being around like that's uncomfortable versus many students that I've I've taught over the years in Indian and Asian culture they're like where you going you're gonna be here till you get married or if you get married y'all both might be moving in here like no this is a group project we're we're it's it's we <laughs> okay like it's a we-ness versus this I-ness that tends to be so insidious and and pernicious and keeps us apart and so in this series I just want to point out that if you don't have communities, if you don't have people that you can talk to, that will listen to you, that you can have real live conversations with and just be heard and just be seen and just feel safe to be who you are, that should be a goal for you this year. That should be a goal for you this year because there are no badges being handed out anywhere by anybody for being a quote unquote tough guy <laughs> for being, you know, a lonely girl. Like, it just, like, what are we doing? Who, what are we trying to prove? And to whom are we trying to prove it to? And what is the prize? What is the prize? What, what is to be gained? Bragging rights? Who are we bragging to? And why do these people matter? And why do they have so much power over your choices and your happiness and your joy and your relationships. And so this podcast series is designed to kind of steer us away from rugged individualism. And I'm telling you, I am, I used to be that person. I believed all of the things that I just shared with you and that, you know, wanting companionship was weak sauce, you know, and that it meant that I wasn't a strong black woman and Oh, child, all, all the toxic tropes. I used to be that. I used to be eating that soup and drinking that Kool-Aid, but now I know better. And when you know better, you have to do better. And so 
in the next episode, I'm going to be breaking down like how you actually do it. Okay. Because from the pandemic to now, my group has only grown. Okay. Like I have several clusters. I have several little communities and pockets of healthy, genuine, authentic, relational connectedness. And I'm going to be sharing the ways that we come together, that we do life together, that we heal together, that we pursue hobbies and passions together. And it's really a a beautiful story. And I thought, because, you know, when the pandemic started, I was in my 40s. And so, you know, you kind of get to a point where you're like, oh, once you get to a certain age that it just doesn't happen, you can't make it happen. That's not true. And again, if we're talking about a scarcity mindset that, oh, all the good relationships are taken, all the friendships that are established have already been established and there's not enough. Anytime you are coming from that place of not enough, you are, your beliefs are creating a physical reality in your life. And so the first step is to stop thinking that it's over for you, that relationships can't happen for you, that friendships are not a thing for you, because that's just not the truth. It's just absolutely not the truth. And we will get into all the inner workings of why that's not true and how to build your tribe on the next episode. So that is where I will park it for this go round for part one. I do want to give a shout out to Chris Boozy and his team over at Spoutable. This is not a paid post. Uh, This is not a sponsorship, but Spoutable is a black owned Twitter alternative. It looks very much like Twitter. It operates very much like Twitter without the trolls, without the hate, without the bots and so forth. And I, you know, social media can be very triggering and it's like, like a cesspool. And that's what Twitter was starting to feel like under its new leadership quote unquote. And I was like, Oh, this is not it. And so Chris Boozy uh, and his team created spoutable and so far so good. Like I've been with him on this journey, like watching this journey and being one of the first people to pop in there and start spouting as opposed to tweeting. And it has been a great experience. Have there been bugs? Yes. Have there been kinks? Yes. Have there been you know, lag issues in the very beginning. Yes, but his team is working pretty seamlessly and has corrected so many of those early issues. And so if you are not on Spoutable, I encourage you to go to spoutable.com and hop on. You can find me over there at Dr. Shantae. And I will see you next time.